Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. A very warm welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we have got Ian McLaughlin, Peter Johnson, John Farley, and I'm Hazel Burton. On the show today, we have got a spoilerific review of Deadpool 2 at the end of the show. We have got the return of Film Buff or Film Bluff, and also the return of Shameful Gap on Zombieland. We're also going to do our second round of Nerd of the Mastermind, which is what we're calling it because I mispronounced it last episode. And as ever, going to kick off the show with some nerdy recommendations. So, recommendations. What have you all been watching the last couple of weeks? Well, I haven't really been watching anything for the past two weeks. I've been stuck in front of my Xbox playing a game, <laughs> which I thought I'd, I'd, I'd offer up a little review of. It's Assassin's Creed Syndicate. I've never played any of the Assassin's Creed series, so it was brand new to me. Essentially, you go around killing lots of people, there's blood, and doing missions, uh, which doesn't seem exciting. But what is incredible about the game is the rendering of a Victorian London. You can literally walk every single street and every building, climb them all, go inside. An incredible detail. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a thing of beauty. And apparently, according to Ian Mayer, who's not with us tonight, who knows mm, two of, of the writers, it took over a thousand people to make this game. Mm. And the depth of research... Um, was incredible as well. It cost something like £50 million just to do the research before they even started modelling the city. There's one set in ancient Egypt and they've released a version of it with all the enemies and storyline taken out just because it's that much fun to just wander around the city and see how it's been reconstructed. Yeah, that's the, that's the new one. It's uh, Assassin's Creed Origins. Yeah, and it looks even more beautiful. But if you just want to lose yourself in something in a game for a while, it's a work of art and I totally recommend it. So better than the movie then? The movie is quite poor. <laughs> uh, yeah, my recommendation isn't um, anything on screen either because I've barely been in the house. So I'm wearing it. I'm wearing my recommendation. <laughs> Your recommendation's a gimp suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know it's not particularly useful for podcast listeners. So it's a brand new company called Girls on Tops. And it's basically a celebration of female voices in film, both in front of the camera and behind it. And it was started in 2017 over a conversation about film and feminism. But as uh, 2017 progressed and all the Harvey Weinstein sort of things manifested themselves, it struck a chord with people who wanted to see more women in the film industry. I'm wearing the Carrie Fisher top, but there's other women like uh, Daniela Vega, Greta Gerwig, Sigourney Weaver, Laura Dern, um, loads of wonderful women in the industry. And it's, it's just a plain white top and uh, just big, bold font, and um, it's just a wonderful, simple idea. And who gets paid for it? Do the people whose name is emblazoned across your chest get... Uh... Well, Fisher doesn't, obviously. No, um, I don't believe any of the, the women get paid for it, but hopefully they'll be. They'll have a sense of pri- pride. So it's actually about the exploitation of women, literally. <laughs> it's just a man <laughs> on this take, company. If you take it in that way, which I'd encourage you not to do, <laughs> um, you can I'm see it like that. Contrary. But it is. I think it's a celebration. I feel very proud and humble to wear the name Carrie Fisher because she's a, probably one of my favourite people. She was very self-deprecating, but very aware of the problems that she had. And she spoke about them, which I don't think enough people do. And she is magnificent on screen. So, um, yeah, I'm probably going to invest in a few more. They're only 20 quid, so not, not too much of a dent in the pocket. And 
I think they look good. Mm. <laughs> John, how about you? I've gone from actively disliking Rick and Morty to it being one of my favourite things on Netflix. It's Dan Harmon who made Community, which is one of the great underseen sitcoms of the last 10 years or so, and Justin Rowland, I, I don't know what else he's done. But it started off very much as a spoof of Back to the Future, so you've got Morty and his granddad Rick going through space and time, having adventures, but just it's so brilliantly plotted and so many original ideas in each episode. It's, it's great. Yeah, I think Rick is going to become one of the all-time great comedic characters. Mm-hmm. He's hilarious. I can't watch it. Is it because of all the burping it. and belching? No, it's just I have this serious aversion to snot on people's faces. <laughs> it actually makes me want to gag. Yeah. And the, it, the, it is brilliantly scripted, hilariously funny, but I can't watch it because he's got this constant Turn, snot hanging yeah. down his nose. And so I have to turn it off. For me, it was the sort of belching and burping all the time. I, I, I just found that so unnecessary and so annoying. They toned it down after a while and it became much better and much more watchable as a result, I think. But for so long, it was just like physical revulsion to the thing you're watching, which isn't what you want. And it it seems to be an odd stylistic choice to have that character to do that because it's just nothing to do with the rest of the show, which is, I mean, it's it's got a lot of poo and fart jokes in there, but it's quite highbrow and it just seems to have this unnecessary layer that does put a lot of people off. But as Peter says, it's toned down a lot, I think, from the start of series two. Later on, you get things like gags about parallel universes and universes inside other universes and all that sort of thing and recursion. And, you know, it's, it's really good when, once they get going. There's an absolutely brilliant episode where lots of random characters start appearing in the show and they mess with people's minds so that they think they've always been there. So sort of like there's a new family member, then 10 new family members, and they've got to try and work out who's real and who's just um, a parasite. And it's got one of the, my favourite endings of any episode ever. It sounds brilliant. Just the snot. <laughs> <laughs> but my other recommendation coming from that would be Community as well, which is, again, the Dan oh, Harmon. Yeah, it's fantastic. But has disappeared off Netflix. I was um, going to introduce my lovely partner to it and we sat down and said, what community? I think you'll love this. And it's just, it's gone. I couldn't find it anywhere. Mm. Do you recommend something that cannot be found or watched? Very useful. I think our audience are dedicated enough to... Start a movement. Start a movement or use Pirate Bay. <laughs> Not that we... Advocate. Advocate that in any way. Oh, I've got another recommendation. Mm. It's a Kickstarter project, and it's the E-Ring. It sounds... Like it's a sex object, but it's not. It's incredible. It's less than two hundred pounds, and it's coming out in seven months' time. E ring, allegedly. It's a, it's a ring that you wear on your finger, like a normal ring, but it's like an Apple Watch. It's got lots of technology inside it. It can direct you where you want to go, and the best bit is that you can put your finger in your ear and make a phone call, <laughs> just like real just science like the fiction. You know, you can get a pair of Bluetooth gloves that do that as well. They have like a microphone on a little finger and an earpiece well, this is on just, the thumb. This is just a ring that uses mm-hmm. the, uh, what's it, bone conduction yeah. Um, yeah, technology. So you can just stick your finger in your ear. It's, 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 the future has arrived. <laughs> mm, the future has been promised, which isn't the same as it arriving. It was the same as that, that drone thing that was going to... Yes. Yes. Yeah. Lily? Something like that, yeah. There's a, the, one of the Kickstarter projects which completely failed and... Uh, People put like two million dollars into was this amazing drone Huge. that would uh, <laughs> that would would follow you everywhere, and you could set it to you know. So if you were like cycling or skiing down things, it would get these amazing pictures of you. And then they realised they didn't actually have the technology to do it, and it was just a bit of a pie in the sky project. So, so have you backed this Kickstarter? I spent fifty quid on that. <laughs> so in seven months' time, I get to put my finger in your rig, and you'll tell me where to go. <laughs> 
don't have to wait that long, mate. You can do it tonight when we're finished. You're going to put your finger in my ring. I'm game for anything. Wow. Bev's ill. <laughs> I need some comfort. All right, Peter, how about you? Uh, yeah, my recommendation, as usual, is going to be a TV series that no one else has watched. So you all go sit there and nod and I have no idea what I'm talking about. It's what happens in normal conversation with yeah. you, regardless if there's a microphone in front this of you. This is definitely true, yes. Uh, my recommendation is for a series called Barry. I have watched it. It's uh, yeah. absolutely and brilliant. It's about a hitman who's staking out his next victim in LA, and he finds something fascinating in a drama group he stumbles into. He tries to leave crime behind to concentrate on acting, but he just keeps getting dragged in all the time. It's starring, written and directed by Bill Hader. It also stars Henry Winkler. The Fonz. The Fonz from Happy Days. Uh, but he's also played parts in Parks and Rec and Arrested Development, normally incompetent doctors or lawyers. Yeah. And this time he's an incompetent job teacher. <laughs> Another one that's really good is Anthony Corrigan, who's the guy with the bald head and no eyebrows in Gotham. And he's really funny as a sort of slightly camp mobster who's also hideously threatening at the same time as being very camp. Like many series at the moment, it has a dysfunctional main character, Mr. Robot, Big Bang Theory, and lots of other things. It seems to have been a thing pretty much for the last couple of years. It doesn't skip over the assassination and violence, and it has a sort of Tarantino-like fascination with the way that people going about doing something like a hit still talk about perfectly normal things while they're doing it. But it still has a certain charm that makes it really enjoyable to watch. It's only 30 minutes long, and every time you get to the end, you go, oh, is it over? Oh, I want to watch more of it. Ian, you are nodding. I, uh, yes, I've seen uh, two episodes, and I think it's one of the best things I've seen in a long time. It is really hilarious. It, it, it lampoons the acting industry perfectly, and I'd say the assassin's industry, because it's <laughs> one of But those two worlds collide in a, in a brilliantly funny way. And Henry Winkler is fantastic in it as this really pathetic drama teacher who's only really ever done commercials. Yeah, can't agree anymore. Yeah, brilliant. It's on HBO in the US and Sky Atlantic in the UK. And season two has already been announced. Is it similar to Get Shorty, that kind of thing? Because, I mean, Get Shorty had a hitman who became a film producer. Not really. It's not really that. It's, it's about, yeah, it's, it's, I suppose it's really about um, this cold-souled hitman discovering his emotions yeah. through the drama classes. And there's a quite really interesting sort of uh, love interest in it as well. It's about his transformation, about realising that his life was wrong all along and wanted to be a real human being. It's great. Is that not gross point blank? Is that just the surfing movie? No. The, yeah. <laughs> What's that one called? Point Break. Point, point Break. break. <laughs> Sorry. John Cusack is the assassin that goes to his high school reunion and discusses humanity. It's not quite like that either. It is its own thing. Its own thing. It's like fame with guns. <laughs> <laughs> I want to live forever. Please don't shoot me, you bastard. Assassination costs and here's where you start paying. Yeah, etc. <laughs> John, how, d- how did you get on with Happy? I, I, I'm halfway through the second episode. Mm-hmm. I really liked it, but it's a thing you've got to be in the mood to watch, I think. It is an acquired taste. It, it's dark as fuck, isn't it? You know, it's not something you want to put on last thing at night unless you don't want to be haunted by dreams of violence and blue unicorns. It's the bit in the first episode where he, like, smashes someone's face against a rough wall and then slides it along mm. and leaves a stripe of red behind. Not a good thing before bed. I do wonder how it's going to stretch across ten episodes with a, a second series already on its way, I think. I'm about seven or eight in. It's good. It's still holding my interest and it keeps changing and it's weird and it's unpredictable. Good news, podcast fans. Ian Mayer is back, sort of. 
He has sent in some recommendations based on what he's been watching recently. So we're going to go over to Ian now. Woo! <laughs> uh, hello? Hello, can can anyone hear me? I, I, I don't know where I am. I don't... First, it didn't feel so good. And then I think I turned to Ash. And now I'm here in, in kind of a void. Um, it's a void between sequels. Uh, but there's Wi-Fi, according to my iPhone. Um, the network's called Scary Glove, and it, it seems pretty stable. So, um, what have I been up to? Well, uh, when I've not been back-to-back watching Kid Gorgeous at Radio City, the John Mulaney stand-up special on Netflix, because it's one hour's four minutes of comedic perfection, uh, I've been up to my regular geeky checking stuff out. So, so what's good right now from, from here in the void? Well, um, there's a comic I've been reading, which I think is well worth everyone's time. Um, it's from Image Comics, and it's called Skyward. Now, Skyward has one of those kind of clean, high-concept sci-fi premises that you're sort of sure you've seen before, but you haven't. Um, so the premise here is that physics doesn't work the way we expect. And one day, 20 years ago, gravity stopped working, which meant anything not indoors, not tied down, uh, not rooted to the ground, floated into the atmosphere, never to be seen again. Now, uh, that was an event called G-Day, and it was, you know, it happened 20 years ago, so society's changed. The kids don't know any different. This is just how they live, leaping about cities, using fire extinguishers as jetpacks. You know, and there are upsides. Um, a guy who lost his legs in an accident is as able-bodied as anyone in, in Zero-G. But the older folks, particularly the rich, spend an awful lot of money trying to live as they did. You know, rich areas of cities have floors that are magnetised, you can walk around as you always did. So there's a, there's a class divide here, you know, um, lower to the ground in the centre of metropolitan areas is rich and affluent, but the more dangerous spaces, the high-rises, you know, and so on, they're, they're more kind of like the ghetto areas. Um, the the story's about Willa Fowler. Now, Willa is, uh, she's almost 20 years old, so she's only ever known zero-G. And she makes a living as a courier, cutting boxes around, which, as everything is weightless, isn't, you know, that difficult. Um, Her father is a scientist who's kind of a hermit guy. He's not left his apartment since G-Day, and he's pretty sure he knows how to fix the world. Now, there's a mystery in it, a mystery as to what's happened and whether it can be undone. Now, like all Image Comics, Skyward is creator-owned, which means uh, the writer, uh, a guy called Joe Henderson, who's a TV guy, he was a showrunner on Lucifer um, recently, and the artist, Lee Garbett, who's a British guy, fantastic artist, done a ton of stuff for Marvel, DC, Valiant, 2000 AD, uh, owned the book, which is super cool. Now, tonally, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the art style has a certain kind of joy in it. It's, it's cartoony, but it's not stylized. And you can see the weight or lack of it in uh, in the characters. You know, long hair in Zero-G floats around looking amazing. And um, every all the characters are, like, dressed really well. You know, you can't have anything that's going to fly off you. So there's lots of, like, tightly strapped uh, backpacks and things. Everyone seems to have cool trainers. Um, and the lead character, Willa, is kind of really upbeat and positive. She wants to see the world despite the fact that leaving a city is insanely dangerous. You know, and I, I want to see it as well. What do oceans look like? How do you get across country? You know, it's a cool, it's a really cool world and it's, it's upbeat. Um, you know, it is infectiously upbeat. The story bounces around uh, the mystery of G-Day. You know, I think it's going to have a harder edge than is currently visible. Um, there were two issues so far. Get it from your friendly neighbourhood comic shop, or if you're stuck in the void like me, it's on uh, Comixology. Uh, right, so uh, that's it from me. I'm going to see if you can order a Deliveroo in the void, and catch you all later.
Now is time for film buff or film bluff. So what happens here is we have all come prepared with three pieces of entertainment trivia, but uh, one of them is utter bullshit. So it's our job to try and work out which one is the bluff. Ian, would you like to go first? I would love to. In the 1920s and 30s, movie theatres were equipped with signs that read, Ladies, please remove your hats to ensure that everyone had a good view of the film. Number two, movie theatres, many of them used to have cry rooms, separate rooms that were soundproofed <laughs> and elevated in the back of the theatre so you could take your crying child in. What, what cinema do you used to go to? <laughs> no, I, actually, I've been to a cinema that had one. A cry room? Cry room. You could take your baby in and there's a, there's a glass window which Not soundproofs where your it mind from the theatre. And w- would that place be cry wanking by yes. the <laughs> I think that was inferred. I don't think we need to put a label on it. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's generally known, that one. Cry wanking. Yeah. Cry wank is a thing. Cry I know it's a thing, but I don't think it's a generally known thing. Cry wanking. What are you talking about? Is that like... Nobody loves me. I'm all alone. So I'm just a wank. I'm going to sit on the sofa and watch some <laughs> mediocre <laughs> pornography. <laughs> it's quite awkward what I do when Louise is in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Film fact number three. The largest multiplex in the world has 20 screens and is in Abu Dhabi. So your choices are in the 20s and 30s, people had signs up saying, ladies, please move your hats. Number two was they used to have cry rooms in theatre where you could take your baby behind a glass wall and the baby could cry, but you could still see the film. And the largest multiplex in the world is in Abu Dhabi with 20 screens. Would it not be, ladies and gentlemen, please remove your hats? Because at one point, you know, men would wear hats as well. Possibly, yeah. Um, I, think, I think it's a definite instruction, but... I, I don't think 20 screens is that big for the world's biggest multiplex. Uh-huh. Abu Dhabi be likely to have it, though, because mm. they like... They like big well, they things. Having, they like yeah. having records about things. You know, the tallest thing, or... Yeah, actually, that's not a bad call. Like, maybe 30-odd. Did you know that in Dubai they don't like the Flintstones? But Abu Dhabi do. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was trying to work out a cranky's joke. Abu Dhabi does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I decided not to. Mm, you've, you've so you think, you think mm. you've been to a, a crying room? I think... <laughs> I don't. <laughs> uh, no, uh, yeah. Is that for a quiet wank in the <laughs> cinema? You didn't realise the halfway through it was just a projection booth. Sorry. The, the... <laughs> What's that on the screen? <laughs> That's strange shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. No, the Manners Cinema, which I know I've been to with Ian before, I'm sure. In the cry room, you've done something. That had a baby. <laughs> that had like a mother and baby room where they would go the to. <laughs> you cried as well afterwards. <laughs> I was a bit rough. I always do. <laughs> it was the Avengers. I got excited. Sorry. <laughs> Imagine having angry sex with Bruce Banner. That's something that could go horribly wrong, isn't it? <laughs> I've heard of blue balls, not green <laughs> balls. Thor's seen them though, hasn't he, in the Ragnarok? He, he has, yes. Yeah, he's like, that's in my brain now. Got two questions. Is A, can you still see the screen from it? And B, what were you doing in there? <laughs> it's a bit like the uh, the sort of lighting booth you get at the back of the theatre, mm. in that they'd have glass screens and they'd have their own speakers inside the room, but you couldn't hear the baby noise coming through the glass. Sounds plausible. 
Although there could be double teaming us. He could be backing Ugh. Ian up here with his nonsense. I think I'm going to go for the third one because I think there's more than 20 screens. Yes, I think that makes sense. I think if the one in Newcastle has 16, yeah. there's places with more than four. Okay. And the hat thing make, so, makes sense. Reveal the bluff. You're all correct. Hey! Yes, there was only a, a ladies' movie hats because obviously it was a sexist world and still is. And uh, there was and still are cry rooms for babies. The largest multiplex in the world today has 24 screens. Mm-hmm. For some reason, it's in Belgium. Hmm. In Antwerp. The Belgium love their movies. And their diamonds in Antwerp. And their beer. But not all together. <laughs> I like the idea of a cry wanker room. <laughs> <laughs> Get in there. In a porn cinema. Yeah. <laughs> I have a film before film bluff, and mine is about Chinese movie titles. Now, if anybody knows about this, um, China tend to do quite literal translations of movie titles. An example of a really bad one is in China, The Sixth Sense is called He's a Ghost. (laughs) 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 Oh, fantastic. So I have three films with their Chinese titles, two of which are true, one of which I have completely made up. Okay. Now, I can give you the films or you can try and guess the films from the title. I'd like to guess the film. Yeah, the title sounds them. great. Then you can tell us if we don't. Okay. Um, the first tagline is Ghostbuster does it over and over until everyone smiles. This is two. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Casper. Yeah. No, nope, that is the tagline for Groundhog Day. Uh, oh, God. God. <laughs> <laughs> the second one is His great device makes him famous. Is that Thor Ragnarok? <laughs> That is Boogie Nights. Okay. And the final one is Run, Run, Cloudzilla. Clownzilla. Cloudzilla. Cloudzilla. Cloudzilla would be terrifying. (laughs) Cloudzilla. Yes. So, A Monster in the Sky. Is that Independence Day? (laughs) No, that is Twister. Okay. Ah, okay. I totally yeah. think you've made up the Bill Murray one. I think all three are completely <laughs> yeah. made up, to yeah. be honest. Given that you're obsessed with Bill Murray as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think Groundhog Day is yeah. the one that's bullshit. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, it's a, it's a wonderful time in our lives because Jeff Goldblum is back doing the Independence Day. No, not the Independence Day. Jurassic World. Uh, it's too. never a good time in anyone's <laughs> life when they make an Independence Day sequel. Yes. I don't know where my mind was. Yes, he's back doing the interview circuit. So my film buff or film bluff is about Jeff Goldblum facts. Okay? Okay. Are you ready? Yep. <laughs> in the helicopter scene in Jurassic Park, where Jeff Goldblum meets Laura Dern for the first time, he based his growling laugh on the... T- <laughs> And the technique that koala bears use to attract a mate. <laughs> can, you, can we have that noise? Yeah, it's like... It's like mm, <laughs> I'm attracted. <laughs> I'm not crying anymore. <laughs> okay. Second one, yeah. In 2014, Jeff Goldblum starred in an ad for um, some LED light bulbs saying that all his success was down to good lighting. And number three, his therapist officiated his own wedding. 
Now, I'm, I think I've seen the LED light thing. I'm sure I've seen an early ad, you know, when they did that sort of before the famous programme. I think that might This be was tr- in 2014. Fairly recently. Oh, right. Did he get divorced in 2013 and need some cash? And had his therapist officiate his wedding? Mm-hmm. Possibly. Ooh. Mm. I imagine he certainly seems the sort of person that would have a therapist. Kind of like neurotic. It doesn't um, strike me as someone who's particularly a kind of method actor who would like base a noise on some kind of creature. I actually think that might be right, but it might be based on something else than a koala. And the therapist one sounds plausible. I think that sounds plausible as well. I think he's based on something, but not a koala. I, I think it was probably a joke answer that he did to something, but not a koala. Probably like a slug or a marmoset. Full off. Okay. I'm going for the voice. <laughs> it's a <the> false one. <laughs> no, that's it. Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, you were all correct, but I have no idea what you based it on. I just made the entire thing. Oh, <laughs> very good. Very good. I, um, yeah, I was just having a look through Jeff Goldblum Flax and, and the, the... Flax? What's that? Flax. <laughs> uh, Flax. And um, yeah, someone has made a YouTube video of his laugh and mixed it together. So I'll have a watch of that. After you've watched the LED uh, advert on YouTube, it is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Oh. So good. Okay. So these questions are all about various things from the Alien series. Things I didn't use for the quiz I'm going to ask Ian later on. Chris Foss, who contributed design work for Alien and is very well known for Asimov book covers featuring massive bulbous spaceships, also did the black and white illustrations for the 1970s seminal sexual health book, The Joy of Sex. They had to reshoot six weeks of model work for the Nostromo because it was originally painted yellow. And the slime seen dripping from the alien was egg white with a little bit of flour added. That doesn't sound right to me because I imagine you put some egg white with some flour under some film lights. You're just going to get an alien covered in cake. <laughs> I don't know, that, sounds, that sounds plausible because just usually, you know, something like Vaseline or, you know, honey mm, and stuff like that. It, does, it doesn't, doesn't show up that well underneath the lights. You need some, it needs to be opaque in some way to... I think that might... Could we have a quick summary of all three of them? Because yeah, I the wasn't f- really listening. <laughs> Thank you. She was having a cry wank. <laughs> Can we not comment on cry wanks for every single thing? <laughs> cha- challenge accepted. <laughs> the last time I mention it, I just may be In doing it. <laughs> yeah, the three facts are Chris Voss, who was a designer on Alien, also did the illustrations for The Joy of Sex. They had to reshoot six weeks of model work for the Nostromo because of a change of colour. And that the slime seen dripping from the alien was made of egg white with just a little bit of flour added. I'm just really disturbed now because I'm thinking H.R. Geiger did the, a lot of the designs for aliens and I wouldn't want to see H.R. Geiger's Joy of Sex. That would be amazing, <laughs> wouldn't it? A, a version illustrated by wow. him would be a, certainly be a it thing. Would. There are actually four main designers. Which I'm sure Ian knows because he's been revising for his quiz, haven't you, Ian? Mm, uh, <laughs> I just suddenly think that Giga do enjoy sex now and seeing this Swedish bloke with a face cigar on his face. <laughs> I think that I'm going to go for the model. Nostromo mm-hmm. model, these six weeks reshoot yeah, for the model. I don't think they would ever paint it yellow. 
I think they maybe reshot it, but I don't think it was painted yellow. That fact is actually true. Ooh. It was painted yellow, Ooh. and Ridley Scott saw it and said, no. Okay. Made them paint it grey instead. All right. And the one that I made up is that the slime is egg white. <sighs> is um, it? I actually asked Judith what you'd get if you mixed flour and egg white in case it made something like right. pancakes or something, but she said, no, it doesn't make anything useful. <laughs> no, that was a good bluff. It was actually done with KY jelly. Oh, so it was just KY jelly. It's kind of ironic, mm-hmm. given Giga's yeah. influence on the show. And Chris Foss did the beardy guy in the Joy of Sex illustrations. All right, now is time for our segment, Shameful Gap. This is when one of us nerds owns up to not having seen a very famous nerdy film, watches it for the very first time, and comes to the podcast to talk about it. So, shameful gap, shameful gap. Who's got a shameful, shameful gap? <laughs> it's me again. <laughs> I have never seen Zombieland. Shame. 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 Burn her. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Little harsh. <laughs> so Zombieland came out in 2009. And basic premise is it's situated around a, a basically a nerdy college guy called Columbus, who's played by Jesse Eisenberg. And there is a mad zombie plague that has broken out, but he survived it by being in his dorm room for three weeks playing video games. So that's a, just a little tip for uh, anyone who wants to survive the next zombie apocalypse. It'll be safe. <laughs> so yeah, this plague has kind of turned uh, mankind into flesh-eating zombies. And he, he tries to help uh, one of his gorgeous um, students, played by Amanda Heard, I think it is. At that point, he realizes that there's something odd going on. So he tries to get back to his family in Ohio. And it's at that point that he meets Woody Harrelson's character, Tallahassee, who basically is on a search for the last Twinkie, which I thought was hilarious. And he's this uh, brilliant kind of redneck, gun-toting, really, really funny guy. They team together, although they don't get on at first, but uh, they do when they meet uh, Emma Stone's character and Abigail Breslin's character, who play sisters, and they basically hoodwink them both into giving up their guns. It's a road movie, it's a romance, it's a dark comedy, it's a horror film, it's all of those mixed into one, and it might be my new favourite film. (laughs) I really loved it. I liked it. It started well, I think, because the opening scene, well, first of all, you've got Metallica, uh, Wherever I May Roam, is like the intro song. And then you've got Jesse Eisenberg's character kind of describing the rules of Zombieland. I think it's centered around cardio is the first one, so you've got to be able to run away. Seatbelts, you've got to have seatbelts. Double tap, so once you've killed them, you've got to kill them again to make sure. I thought there were four rules to begin with, but then it emerged there's like 50. And there's some really, really good ones. It's just like, you know, appreciate the small things. It's directed by uh, Ruben Fleischer, who I don't know very well, but when I was looking at his IMDb credits, he is involved with Santa Clarita's Diet, which is a TV show that you've been watching, Peter. Oh, okay. And it actually surpassed Dawn of the Dead as the highest grossing zombie film until World War Z came out in 2013. So, yeah, so I had it for about four years. Yeah, so a really, really big commercial success. I'm trying to think as to, because I, I don't really think I'd heard of it until, until recently. I'm trying to think about why it passed me by. And I just think up until recently, um, I haven't really been a horror movie fan. Um, I kind of watched things too young and then just thought I'm never, ever watching anything like that ever again. 
but um i think when when world war z came out i was like well i'm obviously going to go and see a brad pitt film because you know reasons uh womanly reasons <laughs> what type of tree is brad pitt an oak a mighty yeah. oak mighty oak yeah <laughs> so i went to see that and absolutely loved it i thought it was brilliant so I've since been watching more and more horror films and really, really enjoying them. And this this one, I wouldn't say it's a horror film because it's, yeah, it's more of a comedy. But, um, it absolutely peaked with the best cameo in the history of cameos with Bill Murray. <laughs> mm. um, so the premise is that they, they've arrived in L.A., all four of them, because they're trying to get to this theme park where apparently the zombies aren't, uh, they haven't infiltrated. But um, they decide to have a, a good night's sleep. So they get a map of the stars and like, you know, where are we going to go? Like, would you Tom Cruise's house? And, and Woody Harrison's character is like, no, Tom Cruise is like Z-less compared to what I have in mind. Um, so they arrive at Bill Murray's house. It turns out that Abigail Breslin's character has never seen Ghostbusters. So they watch that in the cinema room that Bill Murray obviously has. And yeah, he's got this fantastic house. Then suddenly appears zombie Bill Murray. Um, but it turns out that's just his way of kind of coping and um, trying to pretend to be a monster zombie. So it's not really a zombie at all. It's just in zombie makeup. So they have a way all the time with Bill Zombie. They get high. Um, yeah, but uh, I won't spoil what happens to him just in case anyone hasn't seen him. I think it's the the surprise that he's prepared to jump around and pretend to be a Ghostbuster and things. You're not really expecting yeah. him to do that. You think he'd be above mm. such things. Mm-hmm. Apparently he was quite a last minute choice for it. They went through a list and was originally written with Sylvester Stallone in mind. It was for the originally cameo. written for Patrick Swayze. Patrick apparently. Swayze. Yeah. Though they did consider uh, Sylvester Stallone and Mark Hamill and Dwayne Johnson as well. Oh, not doing good. It was a recurring theme in this podcast. <laughs> Um, actually, I will spoil it because, you know, it, it's it's important to the discussion. So um, <clears throat> Bill Murray's character then, well, Bill Murray's character, Bill Murray, walks into the room where they're showing the film and, like, for a laugh, puts on the zombie voice um, and then got, gets shot through the chest by uh, Mark Zuckerberg. No, Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, So, but actually that's a really, really funny scene because they, they ask, you know, have you got any regrets? And Bill Murray again goes... Be Garfield, <laughs> uh, but they wrap him in like a blanket, throw them off the side of the building, give him a gun salute, and then um, very, very casually, like a few seconds later, does anyone want any churros? It's just that kind of tone. It's really, really good. Did you see the extra scene at the end? Oh, <gasps> there's an extra scene there at is. the end. It doesn't do much, but it has him talking to Bill Murray. Oh, and stupid Netflix just automatically playing trailers. Yeah. <laughs> It's actually quite hard to get Netflix to play the end of a movie. Some of my pet hates at the moment. Yeah. Skipping all the end credits and the opening titles as well. There's, there's some very, very good lines in it. Um, when Woody Harrison's uh, car gets stolen, he says, I want my caddy back, which is because he had a Cadillac. Um, time to nut up or shut up, I thought was hilarious. Um, but the end, I like a film that's got um, a good heart in it. Like it's got a, it's got a reason to be there. And I like the line at the end, which was, if you don't have people around you, you might as well be a zombie. I know there's a, a sequel coming out next year. Did anyone see the pilot for the no, Amazon I, TV I series? I wanted to try and track that down. Because it was the, the, um, the movie was originally written as a TV show. And in effect, we're seeing the first two episodes of the TV show edited together. And then they're stuck on the amusement park ending. But yeah, Amazon made a pilot to do it as a series, didn't they? With a completely different cast. I well, gather it was a bomb. Writers, I, I hear it was awful. I haven't yeah. seen it. And they, they took it off when it didn't get picked up for a series, which I don't know if Amazon do with all their pilots. 
Did you know John Carpenter was originally going to direct the original TV pilot before it became a movie, and he was offered the movie as director? He would be very wrong for it. He'd do it very differently. <laughs> and Ruben Fleischer, um, who you mentioned, who's the director of it, he's doing the new Venom film. Oh, is he? Yeah, okay. Well, if he puts humour in like that, it uh, should mm-hmm. be worth a watch. Woody Harrelson's also in yes. the Venom film. Uh, and these writers did a draft for Venom about 10 years ago, which didn't get picked up and go anywhere. Still, I'm not sold on Venom from the trailers so far. It seems odd to do a Venom movie without having Spider-Man in it. It seems to be an odd choice. And the term Zombieland was used in Natural Born Killers, which Woody Harrelson's also in. Yes. But it meant sort of like the TV audience. I haven't seen Woody Harrelson in hardly anything. I didn't watch Cheers or anything like that. I've seen him in Three Billboards, but not much else. And I thought he was absolutely terrific when he found a truck and opened it. And and one of the rules is always check the back seat. So he finds a load of machine guns and he's like, thank God for rednecks. And it's just, I thought he was really, really like cope with humor very, very well. Um, and I've forgotten what I was about to say, apart from that. <laughs> the line I was about to say, but I've forgotten it. So the rules of Zombieland. Mm-hmm. Have you got them all? Yeah. You ready? Mm-hmm. Quick rundown. Yeah. One, cardio. Two, double tap. Three, beware of bathrooms. Four, seat belts. Six, I've got a five for some reason. <laughs> Cast iron skillet. Travel light. Get a kick-ass partner. Bounty paper towels. Bowling ball. Don't be a hero. Limber up. Ziplock bags. Avoid strip clubs. When in doubt, know your way out. Double knot your shoes. The buddy system. Check the back seat. Enjoy the little things. Swiss army knife. Clean socks. Hygiene. Always have backup. Doesn't don't be a hero change into do yeah, be a hero. He says, says some rules are made to be broken. Yes, don't be a hero. Columbus later changes the rules to be a hero at the amusement park after facing his greatest fear. Clowns. Clown zombie. Yeah. Worse than clownzilla. <laughs> clownzilla. <laughs> that put me in the cry room. <laughs> Okay, now is time for round two of Nerd of the Mastery Mind. So, in the previous episode, John and Dan went under the hot seat. Let's keep going with that theme. And Dan scored seven, John scored nine, each tackling their own specialist subjects. And today, John is asking Peter questions, and Peter is asking Ian questions. So, first up, Peter, what is your specialist subject? Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember what years I said, but I think I said science fiction movies from 1970 through to about mid-90s, maybe. <laughs> You've got 1970 through 1985. Okay, all right. All right, take it away, John. Okay, you have 10 questions. Your time starts on the untimed quiz. <laughs> <laughs> now... In Book Rogers in the 25th century, mm-hmm. which animation legend provided the voice of Twiki? I think that's Mel Blanc. Correct. Before going on to write and or direct a number of genre classics, John Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon collaborated on which film? Dark Star, 1974. Correct. What is the name of the special treat that awaits you on your 30th birthday in Logan's Run? Uh, well, a crystal on your hand turns dark and then you need to get... Well, you basically get murdered. The correct answer is the carousel. Well, same thing, isn't it? Nope. (laughs) Number four. (laughs) What tasty foodstuff did Charlton Heston warn people against eating in the 1973 film of the same name? There was one called The Stuff. There was another one called The Blob, but I don't think he'd eat that. Um, 
Buzz. I know this one. It's Silent Green. Oh, that. Okay. Made of people. It's a hilarious scene, that film, where uh, you see them all in the conveyor belts, and there's two bishops still in their robes going into the, <laughs> to the fire machine. Uh, number five. The Devil's Tower, an American national monument, forms a backdrop for the climax to which 80s sci-fi classic? Cl- uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Correct. Name the Monty Python star who wrote the screenplay for Jim Henson's Labyrinth. Ooh, uh, I would guess Terry Jones. That is correct. What is the name of the shopping mall Martin McFly returns to at the conclusion uh, of Back to the Future? Oh, okay. By then it's Lone Pines and started as Twin Pines. Correct. Harlan Ellison had his name added to the credits of which film after he sued for similarities to a script he had written for Six's TV series The Outer Limits? Is that Terminator? Correct. This is a, a double header for number nine. Which Blue Peter star had a cameo in Flash Gordon and which James Bond killed him? Uh, that'll be Peter Duncan and um, Timothy Dalton. Correct. And finally, the character of Slimer in Ghostbusters was created as a tribute to which comedian who was slated for a role in the film before his untimely death? Um, I have no idea. John Belushi. Mm. Okay. Well done, Peter. That is a seven out of ten. ten. There's some good ones in there. Nice questions. Yeah, good. I enjoyed that. Right, Ian, your turn. Right, my specialist subject apparently is alien. Alien films. Alien films, the franchise. And Peter has your questions. Is Galians included? Yes, hopefully. (laughs) Oh, I should have done one of that. (laughs) Uh, Okay, which two characters from the Nostromo survive the alien? That would be Ellen Ripley and um, Jones the Cat. Yes, correct. What is the planetoid seen in Alien and returned to an Aliens called? LV-426. 246 to 426. 426, yes. yes, correct. It's actually named as Asheron in the Alien script, yeah. but they never actually Asheron is it. actually the, pla- the, the planet and the moons uh, surrounding it. Ah, okay. What famous impressionist made the sounds of the alien? Famous impressionist made the sounds of the alien. Was it Picasso? <laughs> He's not actually an impressionist, okay. but otherwise it would have been a good joke. <laughs> famous impressionist. Was it, um, oh, um, well, they had Larry the Lamb. No, wasn't it? Was it? Um, a Larry the Lamb. Mike Yarwood. You would quite often see him in Blue Peter in the 70s. Oh, it's the one who did the um, Ferdy Bold and the Holdy Boldy Bold. Thingy Bold. No, I know no. who you mean, but it isn't no, him. Not him, okay. Um, I don't know that answer. It's Percy Edwards. Really? Well, that's him. That's Ferdy Bold. No, it's not. Is it not? No. Oh. <laughs> Percy Edwards, right? Didn't know that. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Was it Rembrandt? <laughs> no. Was Rembrandt an impressionist? Don't think so. <laughs> right. Uh, what is the ship called in Aliens? Oh, in Aliens, because it's Nostromo in the. It's the um um um, cool, the Kulasso. The, there's something um, Kulasso, Kulako, classic. You're very close, John. Do you know? I don't know. Hazel. Nope. The Sulaco. That's it, Sulaco. Damn. Uh, that would have been a half, half point. That's, that's an a easy half, one. I think that's a half point. That's like really poor. Okay. Sorry. And I know you didn't want questions about who played who, but you've <sighs> got one. <laughs> uh, who played Lambert, the navigator of the Nostromo? Or should it be Lombert? Really famous actor who I can't remember his name. You don't know which character he is, do you? But Navigator. Oh, he's not the, na- oh, the Navigator. Give us a clue. Well, it's not a he. That's a she. I can't remember what her name is now. 
Okay. She's called Veronica Cartwright. That's the one. And she was originally given the role of Ellen Ripley and mm. was uh, usurped by Weaver. Mm. Carrie Henn played Newt in Aliens. What other genre movie did she star in? Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know. It's actually a trick question. That's the only movie she was right. in was Aliens. She'd not even no. been in the school so play. Do I get before. a point for saying I don't know? <laughs> no. <laughs> you could have, That's if you said nothing, you would have done. But I was about to say nothing because I couldn't think of a single other thing she'd been in. But I didn't think we were doing trick questions. I think I want two points. I thought that was for, a fair two, trick. two points for Ian for. <laughs> what part does Lance Henriksen play in Alien vs Predator, combining earlier bits of mythology? He plays Wayland. Mm. Peter Wayland. No. Is he not? Well, it is a, it's a Wayland. He plays one of the Waylands. Yeah. Plays the early Wayland. <laughs> Young Wayland. <laughs> baby Wayland. Oh, God. Wayland, Roger Wayland. Junior. Simon Wayland. I'm looking for two of the three names he has Peter Wayland, um, David Wayland, Arthur Wayland. Okay. John? Easy E. Wayland. No, it's Charles Bishop. Ah, Bishop oh, Wayland, of so course. Bishop, he took his middle name God, for the robot. I should have chosen this half a point subject. for Wayland. Oh, come on, be kind. All right, yeah, give him a half point. I'm doing really shit. You don't get this on the game show, this is ripped off, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> We're nearly there. Who wrote the script for Alien Resurrection, then was appalled at how it turned out? Wrote the script for it? Mm-hmm. Pretty famous screenwriter. I know this. I don't. John? Josh Whedon. Yes. Uh. And what was the original title of Alien? It was Star Beast. It was. Good. I thought that's one you wouldn't get. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't do too well, that was it. Five or six. And now for your last question. Oh, it's oh, got oh, last oh. question, yeah. But be careful. Okay. How much longer to the nearest minute is the director's cut of Alien? 17 minutes. Lower. <laughs> 14 minutes. Lower. Nine. Lower. Six. Lower. Two. Minus minus four. Minus one. Minus one. right. (laughs) So slightly unfair, that last one. Bastard. That is very tough questions. Ridley Scott's, I think his Blade Runner director's cut is also short. It's the only director that does director's cuts that are shorter than the theatrical cuts. Uh, I've got a question for you, Peter, Mm -hmm. just in return. Thank you. Yeah, so I'll get an extra point and you lose a point off yours. Um, um, (laughs) What thing links... Alien uh-huh. and Dune, an object that links the two movies together. Actually, there are a number of things that link them. Like some of the designers who worked on um, Alien had already worked on it's Jodorowsky's it's Dune an, before It's an that. object. What object links Alien and Dune? Is it the alien head on Sting's codpiece in Dune? <laughs> no. Uh, were condoms used in aliens? That's somehow. it. Yes, really? that's the answer. You got it right. Wow. Yes, condoms were used on the alien skull, and they were used on the beasts, the sand beasts in ah, June. Okay. Well done. So that's <laughs> so that's an extra point to me. <laughs> yeah, but I get three more because it was a good question. <laughs> uh, so during the normal round, you got four, Ian. Four? Really? <laughs> Sorry, God, that I was, was uh, terrible. I was hoping for seven. <laughs> I was hoping for ten. <laughs> Stock fire, my kitty. <laughs> what are the latest scores? Your scores on the doors so far are John is currently leading the pack with nine. 
Um, then we've got jointly on seven, Peter and Dan, and then we've got Ian with four. But don't <laughs> worry, it won't be the lowest score because Dan has been plotting for about two weeks now my West Wing questions. Uh, probably so. the most evil questions you yeah, can imagine. He has, and a very legitimate reason, um, he's out for revenge. <laughs> so I, I think that um, because I'm obviously going to probably lose, you and I can conspire mm. to do the playoff for the two highest scores with one subject between them. Okay. I like the sound of that. Yeah, it sounds good. And finally, we're going to have um, a spoilerific review of Deadpool 2. So if you haven't seen Deadpool yet, get the to a nearest cinema, go watch it, and then turn the podcast back on. Or unless you're Ian and you don't really care about spoilers because Ian hasn't seen it. <laughs> I ain't letting Cable kill this kid. But I can't do this alone. Can you speak up? It's hard to hear you with that pity dick in your mouth. We're gonna form a super duper fucking group. Meet them tough, morally flexible, and young enough to carry their own franchise for 10 to 12 years. We'll be known as X-Force. Isn't that a little derivative? You're absolutely right. Now, let's go get our fuck on. Don't call it a comeback. Tell me they got that in slow motion. Um, so Deadpool 2, we've got the title character, the Merc with a Mouth, back fighting bad guys in the only way he does. I once in stilettos, I think we saw him. He's living happily with his fiance, Vanessa, until tragedy ensues. Then we see the fellow mutant Cable uh, travel from the future to kill a superpowered child. And uh, he's someone that Wade feels he has to protect and forms Team X-Force to take him on and bring Cable down. So, yeah, we've all been to see it. Um, what did we think? Ian hasn't seen it. Nope. I, thought, I thought it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> Ian went to see a completely different film by mistake. Um, he went to see... You started that joke. And I did. Yeah, so they planned that one ahead. <laughs> yes. I, I went to see Ball Pool Two. Ball which is Pool a, yeah, Two. Yeah, it's about it's a story about little of little kids having fun in a in a ball pool in a ball pool. Yeah. How um, was it? It was um, it was all right. He had a ball until I got thrown out. <laughs> <laughs> For what reason? What? <laughs> Why did you get thrown out? Because I I was playing with the wrong balls. <laughs> Okay, so what do we all think of Deadpool 2? Um, I loved it. Um, not sure it's quite as strong as the first one, but a lot of that is familiarity. I think yeah. you can only do the same joke so many times before it stops being funny, mm. but it's still funny. I watched it. I watched the first one again a few days ago, and I thought same here. Um, I, I like the sequel better. It's odd watching it again, how, how long the first one takes to get back to the same Deadpool and the same way he reacts to stuff. Whereas, obviously, with the sequel, you're back with the character you've seen before. I did think it was very funny. I laughed a lot when I was watching it. And definitely, there is some element of seen it before, maybe. I'd like to know. Just on the type of humour, more yeah. than anything else. Whereas the first one was a bit more of a revelation in... Yeah. I mean, that's perhaps overstating it slightly, but... Uh, you know, yeah, it was about a very, toilet humour. <laughs> yeah, it was a very different um, yeah. view of superheroes yeah, in the first it, movie. I mean, I've seen... a. One Marvel film after the other. They're very similar to each other, and this is completely different. So I don't mm. think over-familiarity was an issue. Like you, I thought it was absolutely hilarious and laughed the whole way through. Just stupid gags like cutting back to the Vanisher, the, the invisible guy every so often who just mm. keeps seeing his backpack when he's parachuting down and things yeah. like that. 
and obviously the ending he finally has with the surprise cameo. Yes, yes. So, uh, which is yeah. the only reason Hazel went the movie, obviously. I didn't. I had no idea. I don't think anyone had any idea who that was. And I, I don't turn to you in the cinema and go, "That probably yes. Like, well, you can't like go back and rewind it in the cinema. But um, yeah, apparently he did it for the cost of a latte, mm. according to Ryan Reynolds, who's on screen for about a millisecond. I think they said eight frames. In eight the, frames. Yeah. The interview. Did you see the uh, cameo? There's quite a few cameos. Which one? Yeah, Matt Damon. Yeah, yeah. one of the uh, two truckers. So he was credited as Dickie Greenleaf, which is a character in... Talented the, Mr. Ripley. The Talented Mr. Ripley. Also an unfortunate medical condition. <laughs> Dickie Greenleaf. <laughs> 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 yeah, so I think Alan Tudyk was the, mm-hmm. the second one. But I thought all the X-Force in general was, was brilliant. I'm a big fan of Bill Skarsgård and... Terry from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I've forgotten his, the actor's name. Uh, Terry Crews. I thought the X-Force bit was a really kind of high point in the movie. It was so funny. And that was originally supposed to be, um, they would land in a minefield. So they would just like land and go, you know, explode. Um, but then they thought, what, what's a minefield doing in the middle of a city? That doesn't really make any sense. So they just had like interesting, different deaths for, for all of the characters. And it was just, I thought it was brilliant. I don't, that worked partly because of the advertising. Um, a lot of the advertising campaign was built on the X-Force and Peter mm. making you think we were going to see a big adventure with the X-Force mm. and to, to do that, that, that twist yeah. worked really, really well. Yeah. But the one who did stick around, Domino, was brilliant. So mm. her, her superpower is luck, which apparently is not very cinematic, but it ironically was very cinematic. What did you think of the more emotional aspects? Because it's a comedy, but you were supposed to, I think, feel sorry for Deadpool. The worst note of it all for me was the treatment of Vanessa at the start. Mm-hmm. I yeah. thought that wasn't a good way of beginning. It's This yeah. is a term called fridging. Fridging, yeah, yeah where I think a, a female character has to die in order for a male character to go on his quest. But it, I think there's legitimate reasons for doing it because Deadpool is at his best when he's at his worst. And the fact that he was allowed to go to such ridiculous lengths made it a really great movie. The fact that he's grieving um, meant that he didn't give a shit about anything. That's one of the best things about Deadpool. So I get the reasons why they did it, but I think it was a little bit unjustifiable to the character herself because I think she um, is could be really good if she was given a chance. And she's such a key point of the first film as well, mm. I think, in terms of his character and you yeah. know, accepting the character. But, you know, we may well see her back because um, he did some timey-wimey stuff at the end. Mm-hmm. So she may well be back. You just wish they'd either made a gag about it or subverted the trope. Like, for instance, killing it with a fridge. Or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The bits where we're in Deadpool heaven or whatever, are they supposed to be taken seriously? Because they just seem over the top and ridiculous, but not enough to really qualify as To parody. remind you what was driving him. Uh, the end credits scene as well, I think, raises the bar for end credits. <laughs> oh, yeah. Brilliant stuff, yeah. The, particularly the X-Men Origins mm-hmm. uh, bit, which... Um, according to Ryan Reynolds, they really struggled to get. It was like a last minute insertion. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Because that film was shot on film and part of it got destroyed in a fire or something. So they had to go on a backup, which was hard to find. So nearly didn't make it in, but a uh, very worthy inclusion. I thought um, Cable's character worked really well. And uh, I liked that he wasn't what you expected and his role changed. I mean, you could argue it was a bit sort of Terminator-ish. Well, you just call him John Connor. No, he doesn't so call him... So he's calling him the wrong thing, then. Yeah, I was going to say, he should have called him the Terminator. Unless we're going for Terminator Genesis. 
Do you remember that film that we I wiped that from out our, of our, our collective memories? <laughs> yeah. So apparently there's a, a, an original X-Men cameo in the Deadpool 2. Who is that? Well, there's a, there's a room of them. Yeah, um, but there's... Oh, well, X-Men First Class. Yes. They're pretty much all in it, aren't they? Right. Very, very a, briefly. Yeah, it's a nod to the fact that Deadpool keeps, um, after breaking the fourth walls, like, oh, you can't you guys afford any proper X-Men in this mansion? Ah. And um, then they're like, they're all standing in a room and they, they see him, but they, he doesn't see them. So they quietly shut the door. Oh, so he excellent. Take it. They fixed Deadpool in the first one. I mean, Deadpool being very poorly treated on screen before and they've done the same with Juggernaut this time. They've uh, taken the Vinnie oh, yeah. Jones out mm-hmm. of him. Yeah, the D Vinnie Jones to Juggernaut, which is an excellent choice. And apparently Jimmy Cranky turns up in the film as well. Jimmy Cranky oh, yeah. uh, plays plays Juggernaut now. <laughs> yeah, the recast Vinnie Jones. She's a method actress, so she will only be referred to as we Jimmy Cranky or Juggernaut. <laughs> apparently they're swingers. Have you heard about this? They're, they're well, notorious. They, they finally revealed what the what the swinging sex actor was. What the Crankies they were. They were and uh, we, Jimmy Cranky, had to wear her school uniform. <laughs> well, oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Did you know that the drawn-out death scene at the end was um, inspired by Monty Python? Oh, yes, yeah. Yes, but quite light. So we talked about X-Force, who obviously were introduced as being this next big thing and then were all killed, killed. off summarily. But apparently there's an X-Force movie coming out very soon. Well, we did end up with a kind of X-Force, didn't we, at the end? Because we have now Domino, Cable, mm. Hunt for the Wildebeest Guy. He brought yeah. Peter back to life because... Um, That'll be useful. Yeah. Because <laughs> he said when he jumped out of the plane, I'll always look after you, sugar bear, or something like that. I was about to say sugar tits. <laughs> 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 um, so he felt compelled to uh, reverse time and go and get it back. But supposedly the new movie's due to shoot in autumn and there isn't a script yet. More than a bit worrying. I can write it, if you're listening, Ryan Reynolds. Though, <laughs> actually, the director did write Cabin in the Woods with Joss Whedon in a weekend. So maybe that's the plan. <laughs> that is a great film. It is. That is, a, that is a shameful gap to be filled if you haven't. It's, mm, yes, it is. <laughs> I haven't seen it. <laughs> God damn it. And now we know what a prison wallet is for. We do indeed. Oh, yes. Yes, we do. And shirt cocking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is probably the most shocking sequence in the film. Yes, the basic instinct moment. Things I cannot unsee. <laughs> Would you like to give marks out of ten? Yes. Um, I'm going to give Deadpool 2 eight out of ten. I'm going to give it nine tiny baby cocks out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it uh, eight and a half, I think. I'll give it uh, three for now. <laughs> That is all we've got time for for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, you can check us out on social media at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. And we've also got merchandise now, which you can buy. So if you head to the Redbubble website, we've got T-shirts, mugs, notepads, phone covers, sofa cushions, all good stuff. So head on there. But until the next episode, you have been listening to... Ian McLaughlin. Peter Johnson. John Farthing. And I'm Hazel Burton. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
Snowballs? Yeah. Snowballs? Where's the fucking Twinkies? I like snowballs. I hate coconut, not the taste, the consistency. Fresh. Well, this slinky thing, it ain't over yet. 